welcome back to another episode of Cohen's Corner. This week, we have a very special guest joining us, Jack Hendon. Jack wrote for Mesmerized for three years from 2018 to 2021 and also worked as a special assistant with the Haverford College baseball team from 2018 to 2019. He then co-founded the Pleasant Good Evening podcast with Sam Lebowitz, which he's still hosting, which you should listen to. It is a lot of fun. Highly recommend it. Um, And we're really excited to talk some kind of mid-season Mets kind of recaps, looking aheads, kind of just talking about the Mets at this halfway point in the season. We have some fun ideas planned for this week. So we're really looking forward to talking with Jack about all of those. So first of all, Jack, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Cohen's Corner podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I guess just to start off with, um, one thing I like to do with the guests that we have on Cohen's Corner is at least start off the episode by kind of taking it back to the beginning of their Mets fandom. So if you wouldn't mind, why don't you share with our listeners, I guess, how you kind of first either got into baseball or first became a Mets fan? Because I know everyone kind of has their different Mets origin story. So what's yours? So I probably, the first team that I started watching, because, you know, the Mets had basically run through my my family. Um, everyone there was a Mets fan. But as far as like my own engagement with the team and my own decision to like torture myself with the same thing that like my dad and his family had tortured themselves with probably was 2006. I was very fortunate. I know a lot of people, their experiences like, like Sam Lebowitz, who I co-host with, like his first year was 2009, which was like a 90 loss team. But I had like young Reyes, young Wright, Beltron in like the prime of his contract, Pedro Martinez, every Carlos Delgado, like everybody pretty much like a whole grocery list of, of talent that I got to watch and really like enjoy. And the offense was their thing. So you, you sort of see the action in baseball a lot while watching that team. You see like how cool it is when someone hits a grand slam or, you know, you learn about like what a cycle is. Cause I think Reyes hit for the cycle that year. Like, and then you, as I did, learn that you clinch a division by watching them all celebrate on the field. I'm pretty sure that's the last time they've clinched anything, like, at home. And then you learn, obviously, like, about how the playoffs are formatted, and you learn about bench players. Like, you get you get a little taste of, like, the, the smaller guys on that team. Like, like, I loved Andy Chavez. I loved Julio Franco. I loved – uh, like John Main, sort of like guys who just sort of came up when they were called and, and showed up. And I mean, the Beltron strikeout sucked, right? But like, that's also something that as a young fan, it kind of like plants like a, it, it puts a little like chip on your shoulder because it's like, all right, I now, I can't possibly stop watching on that note. Like I have to see them win. So I was like super into it in 2007. And then that was even worse, I think, of an ending. And then 2008 was just, atrocious but you you keep taking those beatings it's a pride thing you can't really I think walk away from it and 2015 was kind of like that too where it was like okay now they're in a world series they and they couldn't finish it but it's like I'm gonna watch this team till they finish it and now it's at the point where I've been a fan like 15 years like that's just kind of what my life is now but I've enjoyed every second of it for better or worse and it's it's opened me up to a lot of great things about baseball and it's introduced me to a lot of great people so I'm immeasurably grateful for that part of my life yeah so definitely as Mets fans I think we've had I mean I don't think I know that we've had far fewer enjoyable seasons than we have seasons that have made us want to pull our hair out you know Mm -hmm. so what has kind of been your feelings going through this season where the expectations were somewhat high going into it but with all the injuries and stuff you couldn't have predicted that this team was going to hold things together as well as they have so 
what's kind of gone through your mind watching the team this season? Well, it's been a lot of fun. I think like the personalities that we've really warmed up to in the last three years have all, I think, been magnified by the fact that first off, they're run by a different owner now. Prior ownership, I think, sort of inserted itself into a lot of the problems that we experienced as fans. Just a lot of dysfunction from top to bottom. And now that's gone. I think on the field, the best example of this is Francisco Lindor. Like, and obviously he hasn't earned every one of his stripes yet because um, the, the numbers aren't fantastic and he still bunts all the time, which just drives me crazy. But like, like I'm like, we have that kind of jewel on our team now. So that's been really exciting. And, you know, it almost, when you get that high up into everything and you're seeing, you know, Alonzo and McNeil and Nimmo and Conforto, and they're all sort of there together with this kind of star player all the while watching Jacob deGrom. It's like, you almost don't care for the first handful of injuries. And obviously we have had more than like a little handful of injuries. That's just, I think, another like component to being a fan because we've, you know, like you said, Jake, like we've had to deal with crappy games, crappy moments, also crappy players, guys that we didn't really think we were going to have to watch. But, you know, at this point now, like we've watched, you know, a lot of dudes just soak up a lot of playing time and it's, I don't know. I, it doesn't really bother me necessarily because they have that nucleus of talent now and that nucleus of characters. Like, I mean, I've probably, there are like at least three or four people that I haven't even like listed yet that I just would take a bullet for. Like they're just such a fun group. So I don't, you know, and also it helps that the, the rest of the division is like, they can't get out of their own way. So, I mean, that it kind of explains why they're doing so well. I don't know. It, it definitely hasn't bothered me. It's, it's tested me a lot of times, like, cause I just really want to see that whole team on the field together, but like, they're still winning. They're still putting it together. And the guys that they've had to like call on have done like a really good job. Like the bullpen has carried us through a lot of difficult moments between like pitchers getting hurt and us not really having the offense to like build leads for the bullpen to coast by on. Like they've pretty much held everything up, which has been a really pleasant surprise. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm getting antsy about like who they bring in at the deadline and what they do to push this team over the top. Because by this point in the year, it probably should already be decided in terms of the division. Like it shouldn't be like a four or five game lead. Like the thing should be over, but I also like from watching this team know that like they're definitely better than, than the Phillies and they're definitely better than the nationals. And they're probably better than the Braves too. It's just about seeing them complete it now, which I'm anxious to see, but I also am, am confident will, will happen. I guess now that we've kind of experienced the Mets over pretty much, actually slightly over a full half of the season, Jake and I had the idea to do some, what we're calling like Mets first half superlatives. And we also have some kind of MLB wide superlatives as well, which we'll get to later. I guess this is just kind of a way to look back at who's kind of overperformed, who's underperformed, some of our favorite memories over the first half of the season, because some of it feels like a long time ago, even if it only happened a month ago. There's been a, it's been a roller coaster so far. And what a, what a crazy way to kind of reintroduce ourselves back into a quote unquote normal baseball season after last year. And I know the fans watching at the park have had a blast with all the walk-off wins they've had. I think they have seven already, like second most in baseball. And so there's kind of a lot to unpack. And so we have a few different kind of superlatives that we're going to go through. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but I guess one, one of the first ones that Jake thought of that we could talk about is 
Who do you think your most underrated Met of the first half is? Like someone, even among all of the people that have done well and overperformed, who's someone you think maybe hasn't even been praised enough for what they've done to contribute so far? I think I'd need to split this between two people, but I think they both do a very like similar job. So it's probably fair game. But the two that I think have been the most unsung heroes, so to speak, have been Aaron Loop and Jerry's Familia. Like Loop has been here the whole season now. He's been asked to do things that he had never really been asked to do with other organizations in terms of like workload and innings and matchups. And he's just been super up to the task. So for him, like it's, it's a little bit, I think, easy to forget about him because he's not Edwin Diaz. He doesn't really have, I think, the persona that like Trevor May has, but he's been probably their most consistent reliever to this point. And that's been huge because like I said, like the bullpen has just been a huge benefit and a really pleasant surprise. And then the, the real pleasant surprise here is Jerry's Familia because he was probably the guy in that pen who I think most people had kind of written off. I mean, there was double chances too, but among people who were going to be healthy, like most people I think were convinced that Jerry's Familia was going to, he was just going to walk after this year. Be a mop up guy. Made, kind of. Yeah. Mop up guy. Exactly. Like he wouldn't really be around that long. He'd, and he really like, it started kind of out like that in terms of what the Mets expected from him with the positions, like the spots they put him in. Like he started in pretty low leverage situations. And then by like the end of May, he was actually like coming in to ninth innings to pitch. Uh, Bail out Diaz in a couple yeah. of games. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the one against Harper is what I remember mm-hmm. at Phillies game. Like that was, I think the first moment where I was like, this dude is actually good. Now he doesn't bounce every other fastball. Like, and he's, Obviously, Met fans have a history with him because of the World Series, which like was only maybe like 33% his fault. Only one of those blown saves I'd really argue was his fault at all. But, you know, people are like, I think, irrationally uh, like averse to relief pitchers in general because you only notice them when they blow games. It's kind of like the shift, but I, I think Amelia's <laughs> so done a really good job. Shift, honestly. Maybe the shift has to be the most underrated part of the Mets so far this year. I feel like the shift has saved them so many times defensively, but I'm kind of going to stick with that in a way. Um, Jose Peraza. I mean, I feel like he's done so much for this team defensively. I mean, in the field, when he was playing second base every day, he was just solid. Like, I'm sure he made a couple errors, but I didn't ever see him make an error. He turned great double plays with Lindor over there, and it just seemed like he got to everything and made every play. And, I mean, his at-bats. I mean, if you look at his – regular stats they're not going to jump off the page at you I mean he's probably hitting it he's hitting in the low 200s if that but with men on base Jose Peraza has been a really good hitter and we saw what he did yesterday in that clutch spot and hit that home run to tie the game off hater I just feel like he's come up in so many clutch spots and nobody expected anything out of him nobody even expected him to really be on the team at any point this season probably but we've touched on it with the injuries this team has had I just think that Peraza's really stepped up and been somebody that we didn't expect to do it and he's come up clutch for them a bunch of times yeah, I was actually also going to go with Aaron Loop, so you you stole my answer, Jack. But but I totally agree. I mean, I think also it, it's interesting how many near misses the Mets have had in terms of guys they didn't sign that actually haven't been that great for other teams. You know, I've ever, all the Mets fans, I feel like we're, we're really bummed about missing out on, like, Trevor Rosenthal. People were sad about not re-signing Justin Wilson. He hasn't been that good for the Yankees. Rosenthal's out for the year for the A's. He's not going to throw a pitch. And meanwhile, Aaron Loop, Yes, he's been basically the only lefty in the pen, but somehow that's worked out. And I, I admit I didn't really expect like Aaron Loop being the only lefty out of the pen to really work as a bullpen formula when the year started. But, you know, knock on wood, somehow it, 
it's managed to kind of put itself together. And I, I definitely didn't, I mean, he pitched pretty well for the Rays last year. I remember he pitched in the playoffs. So I was like, Oh, you know, he's decent, but he didn't come into like super high leverage situations. I feel like in, in the playoffs with the Rays, at least from what I remember. So I, I, that was definitely going to be my answer because I feel like he's definitely held his own as like the lone, basically the lone lefty in the pen the whole year. He's been healthy so far. He's pitched to like a, I don't know, one eight ERA. And I know reliever ERAs can be kind of fickle just because they can, if, how few innings they throw, they can blow up with one bad outing. But that was definitely going to be my answer as well. Um, I guess if I had to choose a position player we haven't mentioned yet, I, I guess I have some, I have some ideas for players that aren't even like still on the team. So we can get to, we can get to that for a future superlative. Um, but I actually I agree. One of the other superlatives we had on here was comeback met of the year so far. And Jerry's familiar was definitely going to be my answer for that. Just because he seems to, I don't know if it's working with Jeremy Hefner. I don't know what it is, but he has really like kind of found his mojo again in terms of just that killer instinct of to the point where if they actually, I mean, he hasn't been perfect every outing, but like no reliever is. He, it's definitely at the point, especially with how Castro has fallen off recently, where I feel like Familia has risen consistently in the depth chart in the bullpen through the season so far to the point where, you know, if they really need to go to someone and to bail someone out, like I'd feel comfortable bringing him in. So definitely to me, Familia, yeah, not only has been underrated, but also in terms of my like comeback player of the year so far for the Mets, at least he would be my choice. So I guess Jake or Jack, you can answer this, but who would be kind of your comeback player in terms of a Met who maybe who was on the team last year, who do you didn't expect to perform as well this year as they have? So at my, my initial answer was going to be Pete Alonzo because he's sort of returned to like, I think being a leader with this offense, whereas he kind of slipped into the background in 2020. But like, I, I think the more I think about it, it probably has to be Marcus Stroman. Like he got a really, I think, raw deal from the fans upon his you know decision to opt out of 2020 with the, with the hamstring injury he was dealing with. People definitely, I think, assumed that he was going to walk in free agency, and he didn't. He came back, but he did come back for, like, what was it, $18, $19 million. Like, it's a lot of money for one year because it's a qualifying offer. And at that point, the narrative switched from, like, he doesn't care to he's overpaid. I mean, Met fans love to hate Marcus Stroman, but he has been pretty much everything that you could have asked him to be this year behind Jacob deGrom. I mean, he's been giving you innings. The last couple starts haven't been as good as, as the first couple had. I'm sure getting time off of the all-star break slash pitching to the Pittsburgh Pirates will both be a nice little, uh, you know, cushion for him to, to prepare for the rest of the season. But he's been healthy. He's been efficient. He's had a great attitude, I think, through all of it. He's somebody who has probably gotten, like, he's been knocked down, I think, a lot by, like, the media and the fan base in general, because he's uh, like a more, I think, vocal personality, but he's really, I think, owned his place on this team and he's pitched to it as well. Yeah, I think Stroman's a great answer. I think he's a great answer, but I'm going to have to agree with Elizabeth. Uh, I was going to go with Familia just because for this year, I couldn't envision Familia pitching in a tight spot at all. Like I wanted to close my eyes, turn the game off. I didn't want to watch Familia because ever since, I mean, ever since, honestly, after 2016, he's just been really shaky. I mean, we traded him away to Oakland and he was a good setup man there. And we brought him back and yeah, before the year, so many pe- people were talking about, Oh, where can we trade Familia to kind of offload his money this season? Nobody really thought of him as a key piece of this bullpen, but I mean, when he was hurt, what a week ago or whatever, like they missed him. And it's kind of crazy to think that. So, I mean, he's been a really pleasant surprise and he's gotten the job done in a lot of tight spots. Like, like you said, it's not like he's just coming in to clean things up. 
Like he's coming in in one, two run games late in the game and four times a not, he's really getting the job done. And I, I didn't think that was even close to a possibility this season. So I think for me, he's been the biggest comeback for the team and the most surprising player for them by far for me this season. I guess kind of going along with Mets that we didn't expect to do as well as they have, or, you know, obviously this year there've been so many injuries where there was probably at one point in like late May where over half the lineup is no longer on the team. And so I'm kind of wondering for you guys, who's like a random Met that's either injured or no longer in the organization that has played for the team this year that you like sentimentally miss the most? This is tough because I feel like there's just been a lot of ins and outs, like a lot of guys who just get called up and they play like one or two games and then they probably get DFA'd or they don't really get to, I think, make an impact. Like a lot of the guys that I think about in that breath are like Jared Eikhoff, Jake Hager, people that I didn't really, I think, like get much of an attachment to. He's not technically out of the organization. My personal opinion is that he's probably just my own feeling is that he's not going to pitch again this year and maybe never again for the Mets. But I really like that like week or so where Tommy Hunter was just all over everything. Like he was, you know, he was getting hits. He was opening games. He, I don't think he allowed a single earned run. He might've allowed one or two, but it was like, it was pretty efficient stuff from him. He has a 1000 batting average. Yeah. And his interviews were the best. He got hurt after that hit, which, you know, go figure. It was one of those injury stints where the Mets were like, yeah, it'll be 10 days. He'll, he'll progress back. But like guys like 35 back problem in the, in the, you know, in the still the night when no one's noticing, they just put him on the 60 day injured list. Like, I don't think he's going to come back. They haven't provided a single update on him. They didn't explain why he went to the 60, but like, I guess it all the, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. Like the, I think age speaks for itself. And I really hope I'm wrong, but I've just really missed Tommy Hunter. And if my you know premonition is correct, I am really going to miss him. So he's probably the guy right now that I like grew the fondest of through all of this. There's definitely a couple for me. I mean, I, you got to love Patrick Mazika and kind of what he did. And I know he's still in the organization. Like obviously he's just was in triple A now. So like he's still with them and he could obviously come back up at some point this season. I mean, um, I liked watching D- Janesh Shui Fargus. He was fun to watch, but um, the guy that impressed me, I mean, he didn't put up the best statistical numbers from the plate, but Mason Williams, I just thought that he played a really solid center field when he had to play there every day for that certain amount of time. And I mean, he hit a couple home runs. He, he didn't like, he wasn't an automatic out at the plate. He had a nice swing, but I just thought he really handled center field really nicely. He made a few really nice plays. Um, I don't know if you remember that play. I forget where they were, where they were on the road and somebody hit a bomb off Miguel Castro to center field. And they were like zoomed in on Castro and you couldn't even see Mason Williams going back and making the play. And like, that was just a, that was just kind of the way Mason Williams season went. Like nobody really paid attention to him when he was like hitting well in triple a or when he came up. But I just thought that, when he was up, he was really solid. And like I said, he played a really solid outfield. And, like, he kind of just did what you needed him to do for those two, three weeks that he was playing every day. I've, I was really impressed with Williams just because, especially after, you know, the Mets went through kind of a, a dearth of ability to make contact from the center field position, whether it was Cameron Mabin or, like, Khalil Lee. I feel like Williams actually, like, put the bat on the ball in most of his at-bats. And he did hit a couple home runs. I, I was, you know, I didn't really know much about him other than the fact that he was in AAA and the Mets called him up when, when he – made his debut for the Mets but I I was just really impressed you're right just he was a solid major league player I think I know they DFA'd him I forget is he still in the organization or is he like gone yeah he so he elected free agency right 
and no one else picked him up, which is the That's same surprising. thing that happened to Eikhoff. So he, oh. if they wanted to, they could bring him back up, but they need to cut someone. So yeah, I would say Mason Williams probably my my number one answer for that. I don't know if I, I also honestly Tommy Hunter as well. He was just hilarious for honestly I, <laughs> that hit he had where he, and then he like scored on the home run. I mean, I've literally never seen anyone grinning as widely as he did rounding third on that home run and then in his post-game interview that was just one of those classic Mets moments where I feel like you're right even if he never pitches another game for the Mets which could happen I feel like Mets fans will still remember him and there's all sorts of yeah those like miniature cult heroes that they managed to produce over the course of the season so definitely I agree with those two someone else who he didn't play like I guess that well but I don't know I was pretty impressed with Brandon Drury he he filled in fairly nicely at third base and in the outfield again he, he also hit a couple pinch hit home runs too and which I wasn't expecting i know there was one that at least like tied the game in the ninth inning or something crazy that i just like was not expecting whatsoever and he's been hitting really well in in triple a in syracuse as well so you know if the mets had to bring him back up for whatever reason then i wouldn't you know be devastated so i I was impressed he definitely provided some pop pinch hitting a couple times he made a really nice play at third base i know there was one game i think stroman was on the mound where he like I forget. There was some really impressive double play that he started that helped get Stroman out of a big inning. And then I think the Mets went on to win that game. So, you know, just kind of little moments here and there that you just feel like everyone who's come up has in some way contributed to a win. Even Khalil Lee, he got the one hit, but the one hit came in like the 12th inning and helped the Mets beat the Marlins in that crazy game. So, you know, everyone and Cameron Maben didn't do that much, but he had a hit. So that was kind of nice. You know, just these little fun moments that Mets fans like, like to remember. So. Definitely agree, Williams and Hunter. I'll also put honorable mention to Brenda Drury as well, because I think I, I was impressed from what he showed us in, in those few at-bats that he had. I guess another kind of going along with that, what would you guys say in terms of your first half superlative is your favorite or the most exciting win so far? I know that it might be hard to remember because there were some back in April too that were pretty fun. I'm going to cheat again and do two. The first one's, I think, like a 1B and the other one will be 1A. But I thought the Jacob deGrom complete game against the Nationals was like, that was the first moment where people were like, oh, he's not just having a good start. Like he's figured something out and he's about to just command the entire league for the whole season. Like, and I forget about that all the time. Like that was 15 strikeouts, two hits. Like that was so cool. Complete game shutout. So I love that. But I honestly, like it might be recency bias, Hopefully it's a, it, it changes, but I thought the win yesterday was in the, in the day game yesterday was like, I think that was everything that was that whole game kind of like, I think encapsulated what 2021 has been for the Mets. Like Jacob DeGrom basically had everyone's attention for seven innings and then no one's really showing up at the plate, but then a depth guy does and it's Jose Peraza taking Josh Hader deep. Like I was telling my friends, like as soon as Josh Hader comes into the game, like we're going to lose this game. I don't, his numbers against the Mets are like ridiculous. I don't know if you have like a stat head deal or any sort of way of checking how Josh Hader's pitched against the Mets, but it's been like, I'll find the numbers and I'll post them at some point, but like, they're really crazy. So anybody getting a hit off of him, much less a home run, much less that person being Jose Peraza was awesome. And then the fact that it was an actual hitter who then showed up the following inning down a run, bases loaded, no out, a spot where the Mets have like, you know, they literally blew it later in that night. They haven't owned it at all. And Jeff McNeil, a guy who hasn't owned anything this year, just came up and hit like a seed right back up the middle. 
as soon as he hit it, he knew it was a walk-off. Like, everything about, I think, that 30-second window of the hit, um, Dom scoring, and then, like, I guess, the and then the Gary reaction afterwards. Like, when you – you pretty much have to reduce all the wins down to just games where, like, you get a Gary shot. Like, those are already, like, the best ones. Uh, I think that's my 1A is, is the game yesterday. I, that was a lot of fun because I, I did not think they were going to win. Yeah, that, that was going to probably be my answer. I didn't want to go. Like, I feel like it's recency bias. Like, I didn't want to go with that. But that was, like you said, for all the reasons you said, that was such a great win. Like, coming back against Hayter, and then Diaz doesn't have it, and he blows it, and come back again. It just feels like this season we've had so many of those wins, games we probably shouldn't win or games that we definitely weren't winning in the past, that this team just – that's why it really reminds me of 2015 this season because I feel like that year there were so many come-from-behind wins and games that they pulled out that you just weren't expecting them to win and the season just has a different feel to it. But I'm going to try to think back to earlier in the year. It was two games, two games on the same uh, against the same team on the same road trip that really stood out to me. First one was the game where DeGrom was pitching in Colorado, and he gave up – I mean, they were unearned or whatever, but he gave up – I don't I guess it was a home run or triple to Tapia, and he, he gave up like three runs, I guess, that day. And they came back. Lindor had, I think, the game-winning hit in the ninth inning. They came back and won that game. And then it was either the day before or the day after – where uh, James McCann threw out Trevor Story to end the game. And I just feel like for a long time, the Mets have had such a glaring hole at catcher. I mean, Darno had a couple good offensive seasons. Ramos had a one good offensive season. But defensively, the Mets have really been lacking the catcher that can really throw guys out consistently, block the ball well. And I just think that when he made that play, I mean, I, that was the most hype I think I've been in a long time over a Mets win because just the way it ended and – Stroman pitched really well that day. If you remember, he had a, he pitched a really good game. So um, I just think that was a great win for them. And that, that road trip in general was great. So those two wins from earlier in the year really stand out to me. I mean, and you got the couple walk-offs against the Phillies from last week that were great wins. And there's been a bunch of those. But, um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with those two in Colorado. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything you guys have said. I'm going to go with two wins that, yeah, I'm also cheating because the question said one, but whatever. We made the question so we can break it. I have to say, Pete hitting the tying home run off of Roldis Chapman and the Mets scoring five more runs, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I'm sorry. It doesn't get better than that. Like, especially off Roldis Chapman and who's been, like, terrible over the last month. And just to have Pete come up and, like, especially what I found interesting about that at bat. Chapman comes, like, he throws, like, whatever it was, high fastball that Pete swings through because Pete's been swinging through a lot of high fastballs this year. And I'm like, oh, he's going to throw it again. And he doesn't throw it again. And I'm like, why would you throw it? Like, Pete's a low ball hitter. You shouldn't be throwing him that slider down in the zone. He can't hit the high fastball. And then so he th- added, that was just outstanding. And then they scored like five more runs off of him and Lucas Litke. I mean, that was just, and then Seth Lugo, like it was one, two, three in the bottom of the inning, gets him out of it. I mean, again, it was only a seven inning game, but that was really outstanding. I just had, I had a lot of fun watching that inning, I have to say. Another win that I thought was just a lot of fun was, I think I mentioned this earlier, but that game against the Marlins where it went like 12 innings. And then that was like right, like mired in the IL stints where the Mets had like literally no one on the major league roster who anyone had heard of before this year. And I think it was like in the 12th inning, but they had a bunch of bullpen guys like lock it down like 10th, 11th and 12th. Yeah. They had like Janeshwi Fargus, I think had like a two run single. And that was Khalil Lee's hit that drove in a run in the top of the 12th that it was like, six to three and I think loop came in the bottom of the inning and like almost blew it but didn't I don't remember but that was just one of those games where like again the Mets I think their only position players in the lineup were like Lindor Dom Smith and like VR I guess and like everyone else was injured and they somehow won that game and I know it was against the Marlins but I mean 
the Marlins are in last place, but most of their losses have been like one run losses, or at least a lot of them. They're definitely not a pushover. And so I was really thrilled to win that game. That was, that was a lot of fun, especially seeing, yeah, it was like Trevor may got out of a big jam and like Drew Smith got out of a big jam. And like, I forget who else, but that was one where I, it was definitely a wild ride. That was, and it wasn't a walk off cause it was in Florida, but that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that win. So definitely coming back against the Yankees like last week, and that went against the Marlins in May were, were two that you guys haven't mentioned that I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's nuts. And I didn't even – I mean, I was thinking when we were talking earlier today about these questions and stuff, I thought about the Yankee game, and I was hoping somebody would say it because I think that's definitely got to be up there with their best win. Not even – just because of who it's against, first of all. Like, it's the Yankees, and, like, with all the torture they've caused us over the years, it was nice to get a win like that. And I feel like the last two years the Mets have had wins like that. Remember last year, J.D. Davis hit that home run off Chapman to tie the game? And I believe Alonzo right yeah. won that game as well, mm-hmm. I think. So, um, yeah, they've had a couple great wins against the Yankees. But another thing this team has done, and I talked about it with McCann's play, but they've played really good defense this year. And that's something that the Mets as a whole, for, uh, for as long as I can remember, have been a very poor defensive team. They've made plenty of great defensive plays. So I'd like to ask both of you, what is your favorite defensive play that's been made so far this season? And there's a lot to choose from. So uh, why don't you let us know what that is? And, Jack, you can go first. The infield defense has been great. I also think that if you like take Pete Alonso's improvements and Francisco Lindor being Francisco Lindor out of it, like it's almost entirely the shift that's been working in their favor. But the outfield defense has been like, like Dom has gone into the stands a bunch of times now to get balls. I'm thinking back to like the game where I mean, they lost it, but it started with like Pilar and Conforto making back-to-back diving plays. That was fun, but that's not the one I'm picking. I actually picked one from that same Marlins game, uh, the 12-inning one, because Janeshvi Fargus like basically went 180 degrees, like just straight up laying out into the air to catch a fly ball and save a game. Like that guy really came and went, and I really hope he comes back at some point he's apparently like rehabbing now from the AC sprain, but like he was such a, a joy to watch. God, I, I, I almost want to watch the video again now having like talked about it. That was probably my favorite one. It's either that or the one where Almora like scaled the wall against the, I want to say the nationals, but it was, yeah, the Fargus catch is definitely like my favorite. One of the defensive plays that sticks out to me so far just because of the absurdity of the situation was when James McCann played first base. It was, it wasn't like, you know, the greatest play I've ever seen, but just because of the absurdity of the situation, the first ball he handles at first base, a position that he's never ever played professionally. He dives to his right and makes a great play and throws to first to get the out. I mean, that's just like, I don't know. I, you can't like script that. That was just incredible. And I think it was funny. They interviewed him either like that day or the day after where he was like, yeah, some of the jitters definitely went away after like that first play. You know, to his credit, like, James McCann, he played a few games at first base. To my knowledge, he hasn't made an error. So, like, if he has to be thrown out there again, I I won't be, like, you know, holding my breath. I have to say, in terms of, like, defensive plays that just are, like, absurd because of the situation, that one really sticks out to me. I don't, I don't remember if the Mets won that game. I don't think they did. But just, again, like, the fact that he was playing first base, I was like, oh, no. And then as soon as that happened, I was like, this is now the least of my worries. And honestly, he's been hitting much better ever since that – switch to first base you know he still like strikes out a decent amount but he's been more consistently getting the bat on the ball ever since I, I don't know what it did maybe it relaxed him maybe it just took some pressure off I'm not sure what it was but he he definitely has turned the corner since that little experiment over at first so that play sticks out to me as maybe one of my favorites of the year so far just because of like 
the absurd injury situation that it represented and also how it's maybe helped fuel his his hitting comeback since then yeah that was gonna be my answer I just thought that was a I thought that was a great play and I remember remember when he dove and his hat was all messed up and he just looked crazy and yeah that was a that was a lot of fun I was gonna pick that but I guess then I'll go with Dom's play the other day I know they lost the game but I just feel like that was such a smooth play where he jumped into the stands and snatched that ball and it was just perfectly timed and I just think it's a play that not only did, would Dom have not had the confidence to go make the last couple of years, but I don't think there's any shot in hell that he makes that play any year before now. Because I just think, and I tweeted about it, but his defense in the outfield has just improved so much, and I did not see that coming. I mean, credit to him and Pete, because before the year, ah, oh, the DH, the DH, you can put Dom at first, you can DH Pete or DH Dom, not have him in the outfield. But, I mean, Dom isn't a liability out there anymore. A lot of people could argue that, he's possibly above average. So, I mean, I wouldn't really, whether you want to say he's above average or not, he gets the job done out there. And that's something that he definitely didn't do in the past. Yeah. All I ask from Dom is that he be serviceable as if he can make the routine plays. That's really all we can ask. And like anything else is gravy in my opinion. So he's, he's not going to play everything perfectly, but I, he also had, in addition to that play where he jumped into the stands yesterday, he also had like a dive, a sliding or like diving catch, a couple days prior that I was just like, like I was so impressed because I just don't expect that. But I don't know. I agree that him being anything more than average is like incredible. So just because he's not an outfielder, like he really isn't, but he's playing out there because he loves playing for the Mets and he will do, he's doing whatever they're asking him to do. And this is what they're asking him to do. And he's done, he's embraced it and he's done a really good job. And he's also played well at first when he's been there. So, you know, I agree. Dom's outfield defense, definitely like an unexpected kind of bonus this season along with you know James McCann inexplicably playing first base for like a week agree agree on that front that's something I wasn't expecting but but really really appreciated the the couple of great plays that he's made he has not looked like a fish out of water as I might have expected out there and left yeah so why don't you say we get into some non-Mets superlatives so who who has been your favorite player to watch Jack that's not on the Mets like who who do you think's had a really fun year and who have you kind of when they come on, we come on TV. You kind of you don't want to turn the channel because you just love watching them play. Oh, it it has to be Shohei Otani. Correct. Like it, it has to. <laughs> oh, be I should Shohei. I should have taken him out. <laughs> like, that was gonna be my answer. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about Shohei Otani, and then oh, we'll ahead, talk about I'm anyone kidding, besides him. Yeah, go ahead. Vlad Jr. I think is the next guy. Like Otani is ridiculous. I think Byron Buxton has been really fun too. I mean, it's one of those things where like. It's like once in a blue moon that he's healthy and playing all the time, but like he's just doing it's such a shame. Like now, like the twins are doing so badly. It's like that, um, it's like that picture, like the Maserati outside, like the uh I don't know if you're if you're familiar with like Twitter uh like meme photos or whatever, but I just think about that. Like he's been so good. I mean, yeah, MLB Network is making it like a debate as to whether Otani's fun to watch, which I think is just ridiculous. Like, of course he's fun to watch. They're like, he shouldn't be pitching. It's like, why shouldn't, why not? Why can't he pitch? Like, he's a good, he's a great pitcher. Like, this is the thing that like has just never happened in baseball since Babe Ruth. And Babe Ruth would probably like, probably hit like 210 today. Like Shohei Otani is basically our Babe Ruth right now. He's larger than life, which is incredible. I feel like, I mean, what I love about Otani, and we can all, I'll also mention other players too, but I'm now like tuning into Angels games to like watch his at bats. And, you know, I've never like casually tuned into Angels games really, even before this year. And I know he was on the team before this year. And one of the things I love most too about like when he hits home runs, I mean, he just has incredible power to all fields. 
he's also just a really like good baseball player. He's incredible at bunting. He's very fast. He he makes things happen, not just hitting home runs. But I just think like above all, I feel like he's I feel like he's bringing people back into the game or into the game for the first time that like might not have paid attention before. I've been seeing that on like comments everywhere. And, you know, you see like he hits a home run in Angel Stadium and like kids ever just going wild. And I don't know, that's just like wonderful to see. You know what I mean? You feel like he's just making so many people excited. And that's that just like almost makes me emotional because I'm like, oh my God, like the future of the game is in good hands. I, I love that about Otani. I mean, with all due respect to Pete Alonso, I honestly hope Otani wins the home run derby. Like, I'll be honest. That's what I'm rooting for. I think he has a really good chance because he's just been incredible this year with power. So definitely Otani. In terms of like other other players and other teams I've really enjoyed watching, I have to say, I've been really impressed. I feel like I always think about like pitchers when it comes to this question, but Trevor Rogers on the Marlins is having like a really outstanding season. I know he pitched against the Mets a few times, but I mean He's probably, if the season ended today, he would be probably like the unanimous rookie of the year in the NL. I've been super, super impressed with him. He's really been, I mean, the Marlins strength so far has really been their pitching. So he's someone I've really enjoyed, you know, the games that I've seen of the Marlins that he's done have, have really enjoyed watching him. It's cool that Wander Franco is now in the ML in, you know, was called up. So I'm excited to see what he does for the Rays as well. I know he's only had like a few games. Definitely. We'll, we'll look forward to tuning into all of his heroics, hopefully over the rest of the season as the Rays continue their year i don't know kind of like scattered moments i mean well tatis is kind of like his own category as well that's that's gonna be mine tatis tatis is so fun to watch i mean i feel like anytime he comes to the plate i think he's gonna hit a home run or do something or and i know he makes a lot of errors at shortstop but he also makes so many plays at short that i'm just like jesus christ like i don't know anybody else who's making that play like the jumping play i don't know if you saw it the other day he jumped and caught that ball out of midair and it looked like he almost got like another foot at the end of his leap it was nuts but he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I know Mets fans aren't going to love to hear it, but I love watching Ronald Acuna play. When he's not playing the Mets, I, I love watching. He just plays the game like a kid. And not really – I mean, some people may see it as disrespectful. I don't. I just think he plays with a lot of emotion. And, uh, yeah, he's just – he's got a rocket in the outfield. And he's just – he swings a really sweet bat. <clears throat> yeah, he's just – when he's not playing the Mets, he's a lot of, he's a lot of fun Cedric to watch. Cedric Mullins has been having an incredible season for the Orioles. I mean, like, oh, when yeah. he batted against him, I think he got a hit in, like, every single at-bat against the Mets in that, like, two-game series they played against yeah. him. I, I He's batting, like, 330 or something. I think he did end up making the team as an all-star reserve. So, thank thank God for that. He probably should have – He plays a, he plays yeah, a really probably good Probably should be starting. Field. I think he might be the most underrated player in baseball. He's, he's definitely pretty good. And then the what's underrated. funny is he has the same on-base percentage as Yasmani Grandal does, even though Grandal is hitting, like – like 186 i i like grandal a lot too like his um like a lot of the metrics uh have him as like basically like 25 to 30 percent like above average relative to every other hitter so he's like he's i think like he's doing something i think really interesting in terms of like how we value hitting beyond like just batting average which can be uh which can be pretty useful i think like just it's giving people like an opportunity to like understand why this really weird season actually can be like investigated and, and understood on like a I, I don't want to say a scientific level because these like this is sports but also like it's it's so different it, that's really fascinating to me too so that's a good one but yeah Tatis is like watching him in the batter's box if you're a pitcher it's like walking into like a lion's den like he's, he's just a nightmare he's a he's nightmare larger than life like you said, Otani was larger than life. I think the National League equivalent is probably Tatis in terms of hitters. Like the way he stands in there, it's like there is absolutely nowhere you can throw the ball. 
that he won't have a chance at demolishing it. So that, yeah, that's another one that I, I'm, I'm glad Jake brought it up because he's been great. You know, we talked about like players not on the Mets that you enjoy rooting for. Is there like one team besides the Mets that you kind of either secretly root for or just kind of, you know, enjoy watching the most? I know we were just talking about Otani a lot, but I really root for the Angels to do well. Really just because I want to see, obviously he's hurt right now, but I want to see Mike Trout kind of get his stage in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like I want him to be able to perform at a national level like every night. I feel like they've just been such a shit team every year that he's there, you know, and he's just been so good. And they have a couple former Mets like Juan Lagares. He made that really good catch for them the other night. He's playing well. And I mean, it would just be really cool for it to have Otani and Trout. And obviously Rendon's going to pick it up. And I always liked watching Rendon when he was with the Nationals, even though he'd kill the Mets. I just thought he was a really smooth third baseman. I watched the Angels out West and I just think they're really, they're wasting Trout. Like, that's my opinion. Like they're just wasting his talents. So, I mean, besides the Mets, a team that I'm looking, looking at and hoping they kind of make some noise. I think it would, for me, it would definitely be the Angels. I'm uh so I'm also a West Coast guy with this. I really like the Mariners. I watched like the John Boys docuseries and just thought it was so many stories. And I thought I knew everything there needed to be known about baseball, but literally just the Ichiro chapter of that alone, like I will always have a spot, like a soft spot for that team. I probably though, I think my favorite team right now to to watch is probably the San Francisco Giants, just because like they've completely like crashed the wedding of talent between the Dodgers and Padres. Like, I don't think anyone thought of them as anything better than like middle of that division. Like they weren't tanking like the Rockies. They weren't on the downswing like the Diamondbacks, but they still were a team that like didn't really have a lot of young talent, but all those guys like Posey, Longoria, Belt, they've all like just turned the clock back. Yastrzemski's finally starting to like get his swing back. And the pitching has been crazy. Like Kevin Gosman's been in another world. There are so many pitchers in the majors right now who, if it weren't for Jacob deGrom, you would be also talking about the kinds of records that they would set. Gosman also has an ERA in the, in the, like the mid like one. Right he now. has the second best ERA in MLB yeah. right now. It's like 1.78, which is actually still like two thirds of a run higher than DeGrom's. So that just shows you again, how good DeGrom has been. But yeah, Gosman, I mean, he may end up starting the all-star game for all I know if DeGrom's not going to. So I guess we'll see. I guess for me, I don't know. I've definitely had a soft spot for the Rays ever since the playoffs last year, especially since I was rooting for them so hard against the Dodgers. I, I just like really, they don't just cobble together like good teams every year. And it's incredible because it sounds like they're cobbling it together. Like I said, but I mean that they know what they're doing in terms of talent evaluation. They get these random guys, like they can trade their starting shortstop, Willie Adamas to the Brewers and still, you know, they have like Taylor Walls, Wander Franco that they're bringing up. They brought up another guy the other day, Vidal Brujan, who had like a really impressive debut as well. They always manage to have like that they are stable of arms in the bullpen. And, you know, they've definitely struggled recently a bit more than they did earlier in the season. Ever since Glasnow went down, I feel like their starting pitching depth has definitely taken a hit because of that. Cause he was going like seven, eight innings, pretty much every start. And now they don't really have someone who can do that on a regular basis. So I would say for me, the Rays, though, I just feel, especially Brett Phillips, who's like one of my favorite players, actually, he would be another one of my list of favorite players just to watch on the field, but also just to like hear what he says his inning on the mound was like one of the best moments of the year so far the other day for the Rays. And they lost that game by like 10 runs, but I feel like the Rays just have a lot of kind of fun kind of players, the fun stories. I, I always like, if I can tune into their games, I usually do. And especially since they're in the same division as the Yankees. So if the Rays win, that means that, you know, that's good for them against the Yankees. So that's always a bonus. Obviously the Mets are like far and away number one, but if there's another team I like would be rooting for day in, day out, 
slash in the playoffs, it would be the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, I could see that. The Rays are definitely a fun team to watch, especially considering how their payroll is so low and they're still every year they're able to field a team that's at least competitive and usually way better than that. Considering this is our last episode before the All-Star break, I'd love to talk to both of you about uh, Jacob deGrom and how he's decided to not pitch in the All-Star game. Personally, I think it's a great idea with the injuries he's had this year. I mean, why fly him out to Denver? Even if he's not going to pitch, like, why do that? Let him rest with his family. Let him go sit on a beach somewhere, go fishing, whatever Jacob deGrom wants to do, that he is prepared and healthy for the second half of the season. Because, yeah, it's all great and all for him to go and tip his cap to the crowd in Colorado. But I think long-term, we got to be thinking long-term and we really need him to be around for every fifth day. I mean, and you saw it can kind of hurt us. I mean, when he, he misses a start here and there, he's only able to go out three innings that one time. He's limited to 70 pitches. He's doing this. You know what I mean? Like to have Jacob DeGrom for the second half full go, I think that'd be, that's one of the biggest X factors for this team in the second half. So I love the idea of him not going to the all-star game. And I also love the idea of, idea of him politicking for Taiwan Walker to take his spot. I just think it's a great thing for him to do as a teammate and, not for nothing, Walker deserves to be there. I was surprised he wasn't named an All-Star originally. I thought him, Stroman, and even Diaz, they all had chances to be named All-Stars. So I really think Walker would be very deserving of it. But uh, what do you guys think about all that? It would be one thing, I think, if this was like DeGrom's first All-Star selection ever. But it's not. It's his fourth. He has nothing else to prove at this point. He's already pitched almost an immaculate inning in the All-Star game in 2015, which is I honestly probably my most rewatched Mets video of all time. I rewatch that all the time. At this point, like, DeGrom has nothing else to prove in the All-Star game. I think, obviously, he was going to be selected because he's been, like, the best pitcher in, the, in baseball this year so far. So, obviously, he was going to be selected, and that will still go on his ledger even if he doesn't actually go. But you're right. I mean, to, like, jigger things so that he can pitch in the game, it, it, it doesn't – again, it, it's just at this point, it's so much more meaningful. You know, you would, like, hate for him to get injured, God forbid, pitching in the All-Star game for, you know, no reason, essentially – yeah, especially, especially I think, you know, it's one thing if he had been totally healthy this first half and had like no injury scares whatsoever, but because he's had these little nagging things here and there, I, that definitely makes me, you know, it, it'll be sad to like not watch him. Obviously, I would have enjoyed like watching him strike out the side in the All-Star game like he probably would have done, but I do think it makes a lot of sense for him not to pitch in it. And also, I, I really appreciated like him. I don't know. I thought it was like a nice interview he gave after his start yesterday where he's like, you know, I don't really know how this works, but I'm going to like figure out how to get Taiwan to replace me in the all-star game. I'm like, okay, whoever's listening, like, can you just somehow make that happen? Because that would be like a really nice thing. And Taiwan like 100% deserves it. His ERA is top 10 in the NL. As a fan, it would be nice to like cheer for him in the all-star game, but like, I'm not going to be there. I'll just be watching on TV. So like, ultimately it's fine. Like I'll just go back and rewatch his 2015 all-star game, like till the next time he pitches. So I'm not really missing that much. I would way rather just know that he's making a good decision health-wise, and hopefully we'll see him pitch in the second half consistently, seven, eight innings. That would be great. Yeah, I, I'm sort of in the camp of I'm happy that he's making the decision to rest, but it's not so much, I think, like I'm not necessarily afraid of him getting hurt in Denver. Like I think the last few starts, even though he's had like some bumpy points, it's he's still been, I think, a very, like, solid pitcher. Like He's he been went, healthy, at least. Yeah, I mean. seven innings and back-to-back starts, 14 strikeouts in the former start. Like, I think he's – I think the health stuff is probably behind us. But now the, the question is, like, how do we keep him healthy and also, I think, dial things back to where we were in, like, April and May where he's going out there 
and embarrassing hitters again, like the way that he was at the beginning of the year. And I think ultimately like, the best way to just get him to that point is just to give him a customary break that every player is going to get at the all-star break. You know, like I'm sure Michael Conforto, who's had all sorts of trouble this year hitting is going to benefit from getting some time off and just to get some swings in and, and figure things out. And like for someone like DeGrom, who's been scuffling to like stay healthy and has now had to kind of scuffle to find a feel again, the way he had at the beginning of the year. And this is all like so silly to even talk about because Jacob DeGrom is really scuffling with that 1.08 ERA, right? Wow. DeGrom without his feel is, is still like the best pitcher in baseball. And everybody knows that that's not even, I think like a Mets fan talking point at this, you know, at this stage, but what you need to do is just do whatever you can to make sure that he comes out in this second half and does exactly what he did at the beginning of the season. And I think giving him a standard break instead of giving him one arbitrary inning in the middle of things, like why can't he just throw a bullpen? What is it bad for the rest of the league that he's not going to be there? Like, is it bad for the growth of the sport? I mean, that's its own discussion. Like, I think it would be really cool if probably the guy who's having the best pitch season ever were there pitching, but also like he's on my team. Like I care about him a lot more than I think most people do. And I don't want him. I don't want to sacrifice him for one inning in those uniforms, no less in Colorado. Like it's just, it's, it's not really a, it's not really my scene. So I'm, I'm happy to just get him back where he needs to be. Completely agree. I think it definitely would help grow the sport. It'd be great for the sport for him to go play. But selfishly, as a Mets fan, I don't really care about that right now. I kind of just want We're what's first. best for we the Mets. We need to keep this going. Like, that's, that's our saying. priority. So, screw the this isn't, 20, this isn't 2018 anymore where I'm just watching every fifth day hoping he wins. Like, oh, yeah. If we, if we were out of it, like if, if the Mets were out of it right now and DeGrom was having this season, I so I think I would really want him to go pitch and kind of like show, like, all right, like look what we have. I think everybody knows what we have. And Jack, you touched on, I mean, nobody's really debating now that DeGrom's the best pitcher in the sport. I think up until this year, there were some doubters, but I mean, how can you really argue it at this point? Like, I don't think you can this really have a valid argument. This is the year that he's been the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Oh yeah. Literally. And he's he, been great ever since he came up. Like look at him winning the rookie of the year in 2014. Look what he did in the all-star game in 15. Like he's been a really good pitcher. It's just, he went from being a really good pitcher to the elite of the elite. And that's where he's at now. And I don't think anybody can really argue that. Before we let you go, Jack, I'd love to hear if there's one guy that you really think the Mets should target at the trade deadline or a couple people, but um, it could be a big trade deadline for the Mets. So uh, where do you think they're kind of going to go? That's a good question. I think that they need to start with, and the thing is like the options among the hitters are better players overall than the options amongst the pitchers that are available, right? Like Joey Gallo going to any team is going to make them infinitely better. If they could even get like Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks, I think that would be huge. But I also am of the opinion that like the pitching is the thing that is in the most like the direst need of a refill right now. Like you don't want to find yourself in a position where you're rushing David Peterson back. And we're certainly not in the front office era anymore of treating Carlos Carrasco's return, like a deadline acquisition, you know, acquisition or whatever, like, I think that they really do need to, I'd start by calling the Rockies potentially about John Gray uh, because he's probably the youngest of the options and he's the one who's probably like the most likely to benefit from a new team. But if that doesn't work, maybe you try and do some sort of package deal 
and get Caleb Smith from the Diamondbacks. I think that could be good. Kyle Gibson with the Rangers is another pitcher who's been like a lot of pitchers this year having a career season, but because he's a ground ball pitcher in particular with this, the way this infield is now configured, it's like, it's such a perfect match. It would, you know, there's really nothing that would go wrong there. So I think, I think between the three of them, I would start with Kyle Gibson. If you're going for something like package wise, I'm more interested in seeing like what the Diamondbacks would offer. You also have the twins who you could talk to about Josh Donaldson, I guess, but he's expensive. And also like the Mets don't actually seem to be that interested in it. Other guy too, that I really like, and this is all contingent on what the Cubs front office does. um, But Kyle Hendricks, he'd go seven innings at least every start. You'd never have to like, that would make the rotation better and the bullpen better. But that's all like that all just depends on how bad the Cubs are at this point. And they've been very bad lately, but also like, Tom Ricketts doesn't like admitting defeat, so it, they may not sell. They may just make Hendricks like work out his year or whatever and then walk. Yeah, I realize I've thrown a lot of options out there, but I think you start with Gibson. Uh, if the Cubs are bad enough, then you go to Hendricks. And then if you have an opportunity to like swing a bat in there somewhere, preferably one who can play third base, that works. But I also wouldn't like – I'd prefer to do that without giving up like current talent. I don't want to have to like spare Dom for, for, for a deal. No, I don't think they'll trade Dom. I think there's, yeah, I don't think that's happening. They need him in left field right now. I mean, (laughs) no, they're not trading Dom. I think they'd be more open to trading JD Davis and I would be open to that. Honestly. I mean, the guy I really want, I've been saying it since the off season, Elizabeth knows I've wanted Chris Bryant for so long. And I was saying before the year, I thought he was going to have a big year and he is, and you can put him in so many different places. Like, you could put him in center. You could put him in right. You put him in left. You put him in third, first. Like he can play all over the place. So I feel like that's the thing that would really help this team with the injuries we've seen. I mean, you you can't prepare for injuries like the Mets should be preparing right now, considering what they've seen in the first half of their season. But I think if you were able to trade for Chris Bryant, and I mean Hendricks would be great. Like don't get me wrong, but I feel like the Cubs maybe would be more inclined to throw in like a Zach Davies, and I would take I would definitely take Zach Davies and put him in a four or five spot in the rotation for now. I mean he's not going to help like. We're not going to really need him in the postseason when we get to that point for him to eat some innings at the end of the rotation and be a competent starter. I think he could do that. But I just think Chris Bryant is the probably the most impactful bat they could definitely go get at the trade deadline. It's just all about what it's going to cost. And the Mets don't have a good enough farm system to be like, hey, here's Ronnie Maurizio. Like, here's Francisco Alvarez. Like, they're not going to do that. But, I mean, if you had to trade J.D. Davis – maybe even Mark Vientos and like another lower level prospect. Vientos has had a really good year. Yeah. So I mean, they might be willing to sell high on him, but um, I just think Chris Bryant would make a huge impact for this team, not only on the field, but off the field as well as a leader in that clubhouse who's won a world series in the past. Yeah. It'd be interesting seeing him and Lindor in the same clubhouse too, especially after 2016. That'd be pretty funny, but (laughs) you know, that would be great if that happened, but that would be interesting. But, Jack, we can't thank you enough for coming on uh, this week's episode. This was a lot of fun, and uh, you really know your shit. So it was a lot of fun to have you on. And, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. We'll have to do it again in the future. Yeah, of course. Feeling is mutual. Anytime uh, you guys ever need a a guy to come on, like, I'd, I'd love to. This is a lot of fun. Before we stop this week's episode, that you can tell our listeners where to follow you, where to oh, follow yeah. the uh, Pleasant Good Evening podcast, which, again, Love it. Definitely recommend listening. Listen to ours first, but listen to PGE second if you have like a hierarchy. So where can our listeners follow you slash your podcast slash all the other work you do on Twitter, so Instagram, wherever? 
Um, so we're on Twitter right now at the PGE pod. So we don't really, so we do the podcast. Um, that's like, I think what we're really plugging, but we also, we don't just post like podcast material on Twitter. We also have been working on like silly kind of John boy themed, but also not really John boy themed breakdowns, uh, where we just like look out for games, like very few fans remember or even just like unlocking things that people don't remember we're big like remember guys fans so we'll i think the last one we did was like the 2015 video you did was hilarious 2015 but it was like before they got cespedes 2015 so like when no one was really watching and the team was like just atrocious so we're gonna work on another one and try and get it up before the all-star break or during the all-star break rather but before the end of the all-star break uh, so definitely check that out. I'm on Twitter. It's just at Jack Hendon underscore. Yeah, the, the handle's also in the in the PGE Twitter. But definitely give the podcast a follow if you're into, like, you know, just two, like, Gen Z dudes, like, joking about baseball, joking about past Mets teams. Uh, and also trying to, like, sound smart talking about the team as it stands between what they do on the field, what they do off the field, what they do in the front office. We try and tackle every storyline we can. Um, we have episodes every Monday. It's good stuff. We're, we're really excited to keep producing stuff. So thank you again, guys, for giving me a, a platform. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to sharing this around and, and uh, yeah, getting the word out. As many podcasts as we can like merge together. Yeah, the I Mets, think. like I said, the Mets like podcast universe, the Mets cinematic universe grows ever stronger with yeah. these collaborations. So yeah, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So as our listeners know, you can find Elizabeth at NYMFan97 on Twitter. You can find myself at Giblin underscore Jake, and you can follow the podcast at Cohen's Corner Pod. So uh, enjoy your all-star break, everybody, and let's go Mets. (laughs) 